Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I am unashamed. What about you? So for uh, once again, for the fourth podcast, I'm coming from Austin, Texas. Tonight I'm speaking down here. Lisa and I are speaking in Burnett, Texas, and not Burnett, Burnett, Texas. Um, Mike Brock is sitting in uh, watching today. Mike, thank you for um, his his son is the pastor at this church that they're letting me use this room. Uh, uh, that's his father-in-law. So uh, they allowed me to be here, which is great. And so I'm looking at Zach coming in from North Carolina, and I realized, Jace, did you not get the memo out that we were supposed to wear green shirts and green hats today for the podcast? No, we're I all thought y'all to- were... Trying to it's be new- Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> we're starting a new uniform. No, we we're not trying to be Twinkies. The difference <laughs> in me and y'all is I know your wives lay out your clothes every morning for you to wear, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. No, it's even a step further. She dresses me. That's, you know. Yeah. But by the way, so today, speaking of wives, uh, today is my 37th anniversary. Um, oh, so well, you know. I was. I was married on November 9th, as they were filming today, 1984. And uh, so I asked Lisa this morning, woke up, you know, happy anniversary. Of course, we're working. You know, it's what happens after a lot of years. You're just working on your anniversary. No big deal. And uh, so I said, do you remember waking up this morning 37 years ago? What were you thinking? She said, well, I was I was excited. I was getting married, you know, and we had finally patched things up with her family. They weren't coming to the wedding. And uh you know, it's that's a long story, but so we patched things up. They're actually coming to the wedding. Her dad's going to give her away. Dad, you were in Arkansas selling duck calls because you know I asked Lisa to marry me one Friday to the next Friday was the wedding, so it was a little bit of a short engagement. Uh, we were at the point in our relationship because we were, you know, we both turned our lives around, and our biology was beginning to overtake our theology, and so. You know, we decided the Apostle Paul said, hey, it's better to marry than burn with passion. So we were going to get married anyway. So we just did it from one week to the next. But we uh, I've told the story before. We were all going to the wedding in Paul's car. And it's, you know, a little bitty car. I mean, was, was the plan. But Lisa had a car there where Paul and Lisa had put some kerosene in the car thinking it was gasoline. So it was an old Ford, white Ford LTD. I don't know if you remember that old car, Dad. It was big. I remember it. And so we, I took off early to get to the wedding in the old Ford. Well, it made it to about where the pipeline is now on Lee Anning Road, that long trying stretch. To, trying there. to run on kerosene. Trying to run on kerosene. I noticed it was kind of, 
it was kind of coughing and sputtering, and I thought, man, what what is wrong with this thing? Well, it played out about halfway up Leanden, and so mom's in there. Jay's Willie John Gimber was was with us. We had a we had a whole pile in the car, and so here comes old Paul, Grandpa, in the uh, little blue Ford Fiesta, which would hold about three adults total because the gas prices were high back in the early '80s, and we all piled into that car, about ten of us, hanging out the windows and everything else, going to my wedding. So, I mean, I, I guess it explains a lot about <laughs> kind of our our upbringing that on, that 37 years ago today, I was just trying to get to the you know preacher's house so I could get married, but I did. Your engine was belching smoke. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and we had to come. About that, look, that's almost false advertisement. They they sell a Ford Fiesta. Fiesta Spanish for a party. And of all things that could happen. In a Ford Fiesta, <laughs> party is the last thing. I mean, it's like a sardine can for humans to travel with no, there's no party yeah. favorites in any capacity. I never figured that out. Why Jace, would they you... call that a Ford Fiesta? Come have a party in this little tin can. It's a selling point. Get in this and it's well, party time. It's false advertising. Yeah. Do you remember, Jace, whenever you would ride in the back of it, you could actually hear the gasoline sloshing in the tank. Like yeah. when, when he would back out, you could hear it. And it was that mm-hmm. it was that hollow inside well, that vehicle. Between the chain smoking that was going on in the front seat and the gas <laughs> sloshing in the back seat, I thought, yeah, we're going to have a party. All right. Yeah. They're going to sweep gonna ex- up what's left of me on the road. I smell a little hint of rednecks here. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was more than a hit. I think the funniest thing I ever saw is when I, with traffic, had stopped to a standstill in West Monroe and people are going around blowing our horns, chaos. There was cops coming. And I look up and at the the lead car going the wrong way, one of those do not enters, was the old grandpa in the Ford Fiesta. Yeah. (laughs) With his hands up, like. What are y'all doing? <laughs> so then you look away and whistle. Yeah. And say, I wonder who that is. I don't know. I've never seen that guy. Before Nothing to life. see here, folks. I Nothing remember the last time that, that Paul ever drove the family truck. We had an old blue Chevrolet truck. And Paul and it had a column, you know, three shift column standard uh, gear system. Column. That's how I, yep. I learned how to drive in that truck. Me too. That's how I learned. Ten, all of them had yeah. them hang up in the gears. It was yeah, like, they would always hang up. If you could survive, you would learn how to drive. Yep. If you didn't learn how to drive, you would die. Yep. So for whatever reason, Paul did not have his car, so he took the truck. Well, again, Jay, same description. There were people talking about that some some old man was driving about 10 miles an hour with the engine just screaming because he drove all the way to town and back in first gear in that truck because it hung up and he couldn't get it up into second. A long line was following (laughs) They were cursing him. People are passing him just and hand, just hand signals, you know. <laughs> You'd have just, to know. He, he was just trying to say, "Low gear is all I got, folks." That's all I got. That's all he had. That's but, all he had. You know, I don't think that engine was ever the same after that, Dad. I mean, that's thirty miles each way in first gear. That's probably not too well, good. Well, that's when a pickup truck, Chevrolet pickup truck, 
That was what that was, a C10 Chevrolet. That's yep. when you could buy one brand new for two grand, two thousand dollars, twenty three hundred. They're a little more than that now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they really are in the last couple months. Inflation. Yeah, inflation. How do especially. you remember your uh, the marital advice I gave you? Did you gave me? Yeah, I gave you some. No, I don't remember that, dude. What was it? I said for any man that's. Getting married in the month of November has no idea what he's getting into. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you do that? Well, you were right there. Because I was scouting for ducks, and I was like, I got to go to a wedding in November? Who would do such a thing? But it was before season. It was November I know, but it was just the point of it. I was like, you shouldn't get married in November. Did I make the wedding? Nope. You were selling duck calls. You yep. missed it, yeah. so you weren't there That's for the. It. But you, you did. I you hated did. that I miss that. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> you've been forgiven. Cats in the cradle. <laughs> no, but you know what, Dad did. He made it up to me um, because he, when both my daughters got married, I was doing the weddings, you know, for for them, and so Dad gave them away. He walked. He walked Anna and Alex down the aisle, which was very undadlike. So I know that he was just, you know, making good on not being at my wedding. That's why he agreed to do that when they asked him. Well, that's which better sure than giving appreciate. you a crisp $20 bill the next time he saw you. Which is how much the whole wedding cost, by the way, Jace. $20 for the whole set. <laughs> $20. <laughs> that's a low-cost wedding. So I wanted, I wanted to read something before we get back into Matthew. This came from a, a listener. And uh, I thought it was really interesting because I've seen this before or heard of it somewhere, but it really does kind of fit what we're trying to do. Uh, and this guy discovered it in some, I think he has a Bible degree or something he discovered in some of his old stuff. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And it's Romans one sixteen, And it's from a guy named David Ginn, maybe G-U-I-N-N. He wrote this, but I want to read this because I thought this was really interesting and kind of really sums up a lot of what we're trying to do on this podcast. It says, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small plannings, and smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, or chitsy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position. I no longer need promotions or plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right, and I, have, I live my life by what God has given me. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. And then I'll skip down to the end. It says, I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all I know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Well said. Um, well said by whoever wrote that years ago. I think that kind of sums up kind of the way we try to live our lives. Wouldn't you agree? I agree 100%. So thank you for whoever sent that to me. That's really good. I'll, I'm going to find a place to prominently put that up. Any other musings before we get into uh, back into Matthew? Matthew 18 today is where we're at, if you're following along. Well, we're down to uh, today is Tuesday, so 
Tuesday, we're down, Jace, the countdown. Not this Saturday. Ten days. But the follow ten days to duck season around here. That's a big day. Yep. Yeah. We wait and each year in eager expectation of the fall migration of the wily mallard. For the mallards to be revealed. Yep. Is this a take on Romans eight? We eagerly wait. The food supplies there. We got things planted that ducks like to eat. The, the the water regime is getting there. We're pumping thousands of gallons a minute into the duck hole as I speak, and the blinds are brushed, all 50 of them. So we are prepared, Jason, ready, and we've got transportation, mud motors ready, fired up, replaced solenoids, chains of gas, transportation on the water that's how it's all coming together the goal of this year is survival <laughs> just survival just survive it <laughs> that's pretty good well i mentioned dad when i was in california that um to most people you know christmas eve is like an exciting time for kids or parents even you know thinking about the next day and their kids i said in my family, it was always duck season opening eve where all the excitement was in. That Friday night before Saturday morning was where it all began for the next 60 days. So yeah. I think you probably get as excited about that as a kid does about Christmas Eve. Miss Kay, your mother calls it the ordeal. <laughs> she said, when does the ordeal begin? I said, we're about seven or eight days out. Get back out of the way because we're going <laughs> to the woods for 60 days. Every day. I think – I think she kind of enjoys it now, though, because everything finally moved out of her house. And so, really, it all takes place, and it really doesn't, you know, impact her like it used to. All the equipment is within the building we are seated in, just right. outside the door. All the equipment, yep. the four-wheelers, the Yamahas, we're ready to go. Everything's in line. Transportation. Yeah, I of course, I've noticed, Dad, that your the your little crew now with Stone in charge, Stone and the nurse man. They the other day they had the side by sides out. I've never seen this before. They had the pressure washers out. They're getting the mud and the dust off the vehicles, and I mean, we're kind of taking this thing to another level in terms of, you know, getting ready for season. I, I've never seen that particular. Opening day of duck season is a big big event. It's almost it's just I'm longing to get out there and. The break of day, before the break of day, we sit there, drink a little coffee, and for the first ducks that will hit the hole, we're waiting on yep. probably Woody's, but gunfire is fixing to erupt, Jace. You, you, you <laughs> glad to be part of it? Yep. <laughs> what I've noticed is that the older everyone gets, the more valuable comfort is. So that's why they were... <laughs> Washing out the wheels. That's right. and That's it right. becomes about, it's no longer about how many we get. No. Everybody's yeah. got to be comfortable. Yeah. Comfort is king yeah. the older you get. So, like when you see ducks in an area where there's not a blind, used to, I'd say, okay, we got six hours to get a blind there in the middle of the night. We'll go over there. And, but at this stage, you just say, well, I wish they'd have been in front of a blind. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they come over here. Yeah. We're going to need That's some more what... decoys. <laughs> so That's we hilarious. violate the number one rule of duck hunting, which is it's not go about where duck they calls, not about brush. You go where the ducks are. That's People have a hard up. time with that. Willie always hated that when I said that in seminars. 
He was like, you need to put the number one thing as duck calls. I said, well, but they're, it's not. That's way down the list. That's true. You need to go where the ducks are. Then you can blow a duck call, and you're going to shoot them because they were coming there anyway. That's right. That's right. It'll make you feel better about your duck calling. Duck calls are ancillary. Let's take a break. Of course, I'm not. Uh, I'm not in the studio, so I'm down here in Austin. One of the, which means one of the things I have to miss is our Black Rifle coffee uh, that y'all are enjoying. That's uh, one of our staples on the Unashamed um, podcast set in the lair. And um, you know, these guys, we, we love them. It's a, it's a veteran-owned company, and they make very you know high-quality coffee. We like the uh, we like the double dark is what we like. It's called Murdered Out, but they have a lot of you know, different various um, blends of coffee that's really good. What, one thing I love about the company is that they've donated over 150,000 pounds of coffee. That's 6 million cups of coffee uh, to military, first responders. Um, so they, they really do a good job. And so every time you make a purchase, they're going to send uh, a bag of their great coffee over to one of our service members uh, that's deployed overseas. So uh, definitely time to jump in and get involved with these guys. It supports a great cause. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash fill and check out some of the best coffee in America. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash fill. You get 20% off of all your coffee, your apparel, your gear, anything that you buy. Also, your first month of the coffee club, which we've joined, uh, you get 20% off of that. So that's blackriflecoffee.com slash fill. Use the code fill at checkout for 20% off your purchase, including your first coffee club order. All right, so duck season's coming. We're excited about that. Uh, we're in Matthew 18, uh, and this is kind of the, um, at least how I outline this section, this is kind of the end of this section where he's been kind of strengthening the, the faith of the apostles and getting them ready, because you kind of had that tent pole moment we mentioned in chapter 16 that Dad preached on, that he says, here's what's going to happen. And so he's reminded them at every stage. You notice that, Dad, every time something has happened, He's reminding them again That's of right. what's coming, you know. So That's he keeps right. saying it over and over and over again. And so in this in chapter eighteen, it's really interesting. I know Dad's got some thoughts about it too, but I thought it was interesting that it was kind of this whole chapter is a discussion between him and the the twelve, and the questions that they asked to sort of set up what he had to tell them. Uh, and the first one was was one that we've seen a lot. We studied John. We saw it a lot. Is who is the greatest? in the kingdom of heaven, because again, I think it betrays a little bit of their misunderstanding. They're still kind of got this idea that Jesus is going to be, have this earthly kingdom that he's going to be in charge of. And they want to figure out how's everybody going to line up on each side who, yeah. who gets to sit right next to the seat who's of the power. big dogs. Who's the big exactly. dogs? Who, who gets to sit on either side. You remember there was a story and was oh. it in John where John's mom goes to uh, John and James's mom goes to Jesus and said, Hey, is it possible that, you know, one can sit on one side and one can sit on the other. And so it's still kind of this concept of misunderstanding. And yeah. that's kind of what leads into this, if I had been been Jesus, which I'm not, but Al, it was right in front of him. But basically, you read throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he said, when they asked him, who's the greatest, he could have cleared it up quickly by saying, I am. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Exactly. Because he's preparing them 
and he goes through this list of if you behave and your behavior in the kingdom causes people to sin, he repeats himself four times on what causes people to sin. It comes from other people who get these wild things in their heads and they lose the simplicity of it all, which is loving God and loving each other. You see what I'm saying? Right. Love God, love each other. Be like a child when it comes to evil and wicked things. Well, do, don't you think they were This is incredible. I mean, I even think in our modern culture, I mean, I try to stay out of politics, but the recent, the recent surge uh, from the right is, in my mind, some of the principles that are listed in here, because in our school system, you know, there's this big movement to teach things in brainwash in a way, principles that are anti-godly. And, that's but, right. but that's what has people riled up, parents. Because, yep. you know, you send your kid off and all of a sudden they're not teaching them how to think, but exactly what to think. And it's contrary to godly principles. And I, I really believe that, that it caused people You're correct. to rise up because the seriousness of manipulating children, even today, it, we take that serious. Even if you let them live inside the womb. Well, right. It's it's one thing Start to there. survive. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're you're just pouring some agenda into their minds that they're confused about that is confusing. The education and, and system has become a indoctrination indoctrination centers of wickedness and evil. It's satanic. It's scary. It's what it is. But you forget the children is what I'm saying. I mean, of all things for him to bring up, they're innocent, they're humble, they're, they use their imagination. They're, they're given to trust. They don't really value anything as far as materially. You just think about you give a kid a hundred dollar bill and he's like, could have been a dollar. They don't care. They, and so all these qualities that are really good about kids, He's he's trying to get in your mind to to go there and to say this is this is be how like you, this yeah this is how you need to be living in this world. But now, Jace, that's a really interesting point because you know what you hear in most of the the um, the you know pushback across America, especially in some pockets of our country. You know, as you hear it more as being un-American, but you're right; it's really more ungodly. Because the concept that somehow because of the color of our skin, whatever the color of your skin is, that that puts you in some place that you can't do anything about. That's as ungodly as you get. I mean, the, the tenet of the of the Christianity is that there is no longer no, there's no race. There's no male or female. There's no slave or free. And he goes through the whole list and the ideas in Christ. None of that should matter. And yeah. so well, when you're kids try- don't well, kids don't notice, they don't. That's know. Right. When I was a kid, I never never occurred to me what what color the kid was I was playing with. That only comes out when someone brings it to your attention. Yeah. yeah. Usually the parents saying, "Don't play with that kid," or, "But y'all didn't do that, so I didn't notice." And they're kids. Kids are, they get it. Yeah. And unfortunately, the adults. A lot of times. Do not. I have said more than once, simplicity 
rules. Keep yeah. it simple. It's not complex. Yeah. It's not rocket science. It's not some kind of, it's just loving God and loving your neighbor. How hard could it be? Yeah. <laughs> well, it shows you the We're value right. of purity and innocence because that's two qualities that kids have that adults do not. And, but you see the value of that on how they treat other people. If we all acted like kids when it comes to race relations, well, that that problem would be fixed. Sobbed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that um, we use the term it's ungodly, but really what the, what we're saying is is that to embrace what's being the philosophy that's being propagated in school systems, uh, a lot in Virginia, I mean, it's what they ran on. Um, it's it's not just that it's ungodly; it, it undermines the very foundation of how we would ever know what the truth is. Because really, if you boil all this stuff down and 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 you get past kind of the terms of critical race theory and you know wokeism and all that, whatever whatever terms we're using, the Syst real systemic racism, yeah, institutional the real, racism. The, the, yeah. the real debate on it is is who gets to determine the truth. Now, that that is where this whole debate boils down to who gets to determine the truth and what the framework that's being taught in the school system right now is that you divide people into two groups because it's not just race it could be anything right critical theory is broader than just critical race theory critical race theory is a sub uh it's, a, it's like a, a, a subcomponent of critical theory which is you, you divide them into groups here's the two groups oppressor and oppressed and if you are in the oppressed category, then you're the one that gets to determine the truth. And so what we have there is just the same old humanism that's always been around. Phil, it's the, the movie that we did back in 2015 that nobody saw, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> The greatest but movie I'm, nobody ever saw. Yeah, I mean, but that was the, the, the main premise of that is that man does, is not the determiner of truth. He can't possibly be the determiner. If it if it's on us to determine truth, then basically what you're going to end up with is a power struggle where the, whoever has the most power is going to get to dictate everything, and that's going to lead to ultimately tyranny, which it always has throughout throughout history. And so you know the stakes are pretty high. So when we, I think when when you look at this verse, I never thought about that, Jace, of what's going on in the school systems. I think the reason why they target the kids. Is because of the because they are pure and they are vulnerable mm -hmm. and they yeah. are they, they they haven't been jaded yet they're not cynical so they're easy they're easy to manipulate and corrupt with 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 some of this humanistic philosophy but I think uh, the encouraging part is is that I think that the people in Virginia are saying we're not going to be gaslit anymore on these things and so uh, kind of encouraging you know to see what's happening and let's yeah. uh, let's take another break. So kind of a different sort of gift you might be thinking about because we're entering the holiday season. I know it's dad's favorite time of the year, thinking about what I was going to buy for everybody and gifts and things like that. You spend a lot of time on that, dad? Not, a, not an inordinate <laughs> amount of time on that particular. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, one of the things you might want to think about uh, is one of our sponsors, uh, iTarget Pro. And what they have is a very revolutionary system of being able to 
practice shooting without necessarily having to go to shooting range or using live ammo. Uh, they have a laser bullet that goes into your weapon, and then you have a, an app on a phone, and you're able to shoot you know, right there in your own house uh, and you know, really helps you with your muscle memory. So uh, it's, a, it's a great gift item. It's a great uh, thing to help you to be able to be proficient with your weapons, which is what you want to do. Uh, and they have all the major calipers. So you go to I, the letter I, targetpro.com. If you go there right now, you're going to save 10% plus free shipping with the offer code FILL. So that's itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com, and use the offer code FILL. Would, would it be fair to say that no person ever born into this world, I mean, you have to be taught to be racist, whether you're taught in your home you know, yeah, by your family or by, no, by no, somebody no. else taught now taught in school. I mean, you, that's something you have to be taught. You're not that's born exactly, into this world. That, that was my point. When you're a kid, the kids don't realize it. Someone, has, mm. an adult, has to point it out, which then promotes the bitterness or hatred or whatever the crawl is. But I think, the, I mean, when Jesus, if you ever want to see the gloves come off, I mean, in verse 5 and 6, I don't know how you could be any more blunt about how he viewed now he's telling us to have these humil- humility qualities like children innocence purity searching imagination whatever you can come up you can think of uh, exploring seeking all these things that they do that we need to have as a as a pursuer of god but then he says and whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me and if anyone causes one of these little ones who, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That is about as graphic a statement about causing children to sin yeah. that you could come up with. I mean, I'm what a responsibility you. we have, because it is up to adults to train your children in, in ways of that, well, and and he follows that society, statement. But help the world in general. Yeah, he said, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Woe to it. That's not that's not good to be in that camp, Jace. No, exactly. So in any kind of battle and war, the first thing you want to do is to try to get propaganda out there. And that's why you've seen this in the spiritual war. It goes through the education system. I mean, it was mainly you viewed it as colleges, but now it's trickling down to the little kids. Oh, yeah. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I mean, because used to, I thought people who homeschooled their children were kind of weird. Now I'm out there encouraging that. Yeah. Saying, oh, that, that's not a bad plan. Not because bad. Because you're not real sure what the, what they're hearing on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. so you at least got to get involved and check it out and do the research and see what's going on. I mean, that's just the honest truth where we're at in our society. It is. Well, no, there, yeah, there, and, and, and it all goes back to, to the ultimate lies is, is this whole concept of identity. And so we're, it's funny when we talk about racism and our definition of racism is, is not the definition that they're teaching in schools anymore. What, I mean, even what you were saying, Jace, I mean, they would say even to say that you don't see color they said, well, their argument is, well, that's racist. That it's racist uh, I, that you don't I see. I realize that's my what color. they're saying, but 
so it's interesting though that the argument that that led to the abolishment of slavery that Lincoln employed, uh, you know, was really was a, a call back to the Declaration of Independence, which basically says that we are created equal. And then that was the same argument that was used during the Civil Rights Movement. You know, if you remember the Memphis Sanitation Workers Strike, and they had these signs up. You can Google it. They got these signs, and I think it says, uh, "Am I not a man?" Yep. And the argument is, is I'm human. Like I'm, I'm a human being just like you. How can you discriminate against me? How can you treat me this way? Um, Martin Luther King Jr. letter from a Birmingham jail. I mean, if you just read his argument, which is not a, I mean, it's a very, very philosophical argument. He's calling on guys like Thomas Aquinas and basically saying that a law is unjust when it de- when it denies a human of their of their humanity. That's not the argument that's being made anymore. What's funny is is that argument is the argument that's being attacked now that's by right. by some of these new newer philosophies. They're not newer philosophies, but the, the philosophies that have emerged in kind of pop culture. You know, but we got to stand in the. I think uh, as Christians, we stand in the gap. But we we're we're standing on the principle of Genesis one twenty six, the Imago Dei, which is that man is we're all made in the image of God. So no matter what culture's thrown at us. You know, that's where we're standing. That's why it is important. I mean, we've homeschooled our kids. They're in a, a, a private school now. I got one in public school. The one in public school, though, is very well equipped to handle some of these things. But, I mean, trust me when I tell you, I mean, they're, they are trying to indoctrinate our children. There's no question about it. Well, and Zach, don't you think that this current philosophy reemerged? You're right. Doesn't it go directly again? I mean, didn't King want a colorblind society? I mean, the idea there was the content of character. It's who you are. It's it's a meritocracy. The idea was that it's it's not based on your this color of your skin. His goal was that just what we were talking about would be recognized, which now is assumed to be racist by some of these folks. I, I just I just I find it amazing that in the span of fifty years that the current group of people that are pushing what they're pushing seems to go directly against the whole civil rights movement from my perspective. I mean, is that fair uh, to say? There's no I, doubt. I, th- I would, yeah, I would say so. And what, what shocks me is how many people in the church have adopted this. And it's, and I mean, it has infiltrated the, the church. Yes. And, um, I think it's going to probably be the defining, but it's not about race. That's the thing. Like race is the current form of it, but I mean, it goes into sexuality. It goes into, to gender, it goes into everything. And so when you look at uh, critical theory, you know, and, and uh, there's a term called intersectionality, which basically means that when when you intersect at these points where, where you, you have a, a quote unquote um, disadvantage, so it, it, whether it be race, gender, sexual orientation, the more levels that you have, the more times that intersects and the more power that you have in determining truth. And so, I don't know how the church is going to, if the church, can, well, the church is not, the, the real church would not adopt this because uh, the the real church, we've, we've been talking about this. We don't, we believe that God reveals truth to us mm-hmm. and he doesn't discriminate at who he reveals that to. God eliminates our hearts. We're not, we're not the determiner of all things. And I think that's what it, it boils down to in the end is are we going to reject kind of that kind of arrogance to think that somehow you know, we're going to we're going to figure this out. It, the whole point of everything that Jesus is doing here is to tell people you're obsessed with power. You're obsessed with power dynamics. And look at the example that I've given you. I've I became nothing. I took on the very nature of a servant. So the gospel, the, the really the gospel of Christ stands in complete 
contrast to a to a, a philosophy that says it's all about accumulating power. Yes. The gospel says it, it, the gospel is the complete opposite of that. That's right. It's laying which itself is, down. Which is why he's saying the children are the greatest in the kingdom. People are like, exactly. What? Great point. <laughs> Great what? point. Yeah. And and to Zach's point, it's truth. He said, I tell you the truth, exactly. unless you become like one of these and humble yourself like these are, which is exactly the opposite of everything we see today. Let's take but a little break. What... So one of our listeners, um, JD, it's a, now a friend of mine. He's We're both from the other L.A., lower Alabama. Because uh, I spend a lot of time down there these days, uh, sent me a text and said, "Who is that? Uh, who is that uh, credit uh, group that y'all represent?" So he was—I guess he's getting ready. To, I haven't asked him, but I guess he must be getting ready to make a loan. And and so JD, the answer is if you're listening to this podcast, it's Scoremaster. And what they do is, if you go and increase your your credit score, it will save you a lot of money over the life of a loan because it gets you a lower interest rate. And so they have uh, come up with a, a way to be able to do that. It raises on average 61 points in 20 days or less. And so we're trying to, you know, we're, everybody's unsure about an interest rate. So you want to be able to get the lowest one possible if you're about to buy a house or some kind of big uh, item. It only takes a few minutes to enroll. You can see your points, you can get more points, and you can qualify for lower interest rates. So go to scoremaster.com slash fill. That's scoremaster.com slash fill. And get started today and get that credit score up. That's why Dr. King came up with that statement about it is the, the context of character and not the color of your skin. Because when we read the biblical analysis of it, from one man he made all nations of men. Well, that all of a sudden that lumps everybody together. You know, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. I mean, Galatians 3 says that, 1 Corinthians 12, over and over and over. And so I think from the worldly point of view, since they know what those verses say, that's why they say, well, we got to find something that disagrees with that. Yeah. So that's why you get into these radical thinking. That's yeah. they say, well, you can't say we got to be colorblind. Deceptive philosophy. That, that's what God says. I mean, they got them all coming from God. We don't want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Phil, it's deceptive philosophy because Paul says in Colossians 2, or, or what you're quoting there, yep. because it depends on human, human traditions. traditions. That's right. And, and, and I, I, what's, what's interesting there for the church, particularly probably people that listen to our podcast, is we got to be careful that we're not the twin brother of this because I, I I've said this over and over again, like the 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 hard like nationalism that that is the the twin brother of the of the critical theory you know woke left it's they hate each other but they're the twin brother because they're rooting identity in something that's not God that's right. and we're and we're we're deriving truth from a from a source other than God and so. Like we're, we're we're trying to stand in the gap here, where we're saying we're not going to get into the uh, what do they call it the uh, uh, identity politics. Yep. Like we that is the the believer can't participate in that on That's the right. right or the left. We stand in the gap. We say no no no. We're we're we are image bearers of a holy triune God, and the, and we're going to reflect that in in, a, in the way that we conduct ourselves in the world. So I do think that if, you know, as we engage the battle here for the church, I think the church has to say, we're not getting into uh, identity politics. We're not going to do it. It's not biblical. But my point is, how did, if you 
see who is true and you go by this principle that Jesus just said, if you stuck 10 kids, say five years old in a room with toys and -hmm. you got 10 adults from 10 different colors or nations or whatever you want to come up with, which group is going to notice the differences? The kids aren't going to notice. I mean, they may have a scrap or two over who gets the toy, but it's not going to be a personal. Well, wait a minute. You're, they're all going to just be kids. And so that's why I'm said. That's why Jesus said that his, his principle here lines up in reality. What would happen yeah. in, in that world? Which, by the way, <clears throat> paves the way for the whole rest of the chapter, just to your point, Jays, that what he describes are people, because he, he's going to shift into how you act and how you get along. And if you're like a kid, you know, they have a very easy, you know, way about being able to just move on past a dispute. You know, yeah. w- within five minutes, we're, we're back playing again. We, we were just fighting earlier. He yeah. carries that same concept all the way through the end of this speech that he gives that this is what that looks like. And plus, too, just even kid like, I mean, they are quicker to forgive and forget and to show expressions of love. I mean, you see kids do it all the time. They, mm-hmm. you know, they hug and kiss each other. Little kids, <laughs> that's just what they do. They're not stopping and saying, oh, wait a minute, you're a different color from the last person that I hugged yep. on the wet. They just don't do it. It's not in there. Of course, you'd have to be around kids to notice these things. But Of course, that next section to add on the woe section from 7 to 9 was kind of what you were talking about. He, he, he puts it in the context of the world. In other words, these this is what's going to happen outside of people being believers. But he, he was pretty graphic in his, you know, I guess you would call it a hyperbolic picture of what you do. I, I mean, I, I'm glad I don't, I'm glad he didn't mean literally cut your hand and gouge your eye out or we'd all be in serious trouble. Yeah. Uh, we would not have hands or eyes uh, as we sit here today, but well, what it he's seems but he, graphic, but it's not really, if you believe that right. you believe that if you're going to live eternally forever with the people of God and God, if you lost, I mean, cause people unfortunately do lose hands by accidents and different things and, and and they show resilience and they live life and so you know i think he was just making a point for graphic reasons that compared to that your character and your eternal soul and your relationship with him those things really pale in comparison you know so he just yeah, took yeah. took an extreme view of that so you're like whoa i mean oh so, so should i literally go do that He's basically no. zoning in on don't do what causes that. Yeah. Don't don't do that. Yep. Stay away. Stay away from that. And especially how it interacts with others, because remember the whole context here is about kids. Because remember, you, you look down at verse ten. He shifts gears and says, "See to it, you do not look down on one of these little ones." So he's still staying in that same context. He's got this kid that's standing with him. As he's yeah. telling them all this stuff, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven, which is a really interesting concept there. Well, let's talk about that. About I mean, guardian angels. Yeah. What about that? Because yeah. he brings, brings that I, concept. I may be on an island, but I believe 
you know, Jesus represents us in heaven, right? That's yep. obvious. First John. So, and we're saved. Well, a child is safe. They're innocent. They're pure. So if something happens to a child, they're in. They're safe. Straight ticket. Yep. Straight ticket. So I think it only makes sense that they have representation there. I, you know, I wouldn't think that had I not read this, but it says you see that you don't look, that you do not look down on one of those little ones. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my father, which seems to imply the same thing he implied about causing one of the little ones to sin. It's not like he's not going to know it. Hmm. I mean, he's all knowing anyway, but I believe they're represented by, by angels and, and they know, which is fine. Big picture. Cause he just had this vivid illustration and as painful as it is for a child to die, it's not painful long-term because they're going to live forever. They made it. And it may have been God's plan for whatever would happen in the future, or it may be a result of evil attack or the very causes that's what's happening here. But I just think he's given us peace and given his disciples peace that we're going to, these wrongs will be righted and they have representation. I believe that. So, so uh, let's take our last break. And one thing, Jace, to get maybe bolder your position, which, which I agree with, is that Jesus, who is the ultimate example of humility like a child. I mean, wouldn't that, that's a fair thing to say. He came here, he totally gave himself, he was devoid of pride, and he offered himself, I mean, literally as a child would, because, and he even knew how bad things were. And every time Jesus was on the earth and in a situation, whether it was in the garden, whether it was at the cross, at the tomb, who was always coming, or in the desert when he was tempted, who was always coming and ministering to him in those moments, angels. Yeah. I mean, so to your point, they were looking out for him the whole time he was even here on this earth and even showed up in the worst possible moments to then nurture and minister him, which I no, find no. interesting. Yeah, that he's had that. Uh, this is the same crossover. Well, I mean, I, I think, go ahead, Jace. Well, I was just going to say, I, I don't know why the religious world, from a scholarly standpoint, does not embrace this on this verse. I mean, I really, I, I've really looked and I just cannot figure out why they, they're uncomfortable with that. But I mean, it may be that a lot of them believe that kids are born into sin in quotation marks or whatever. Yeah, you could have and, that. That's a big But uh but they just don't embrace that. But I, I'm gonna tell you, you read it, it seems to imply that. And I've been many times with kids that were not given long to live and, and this verse has come up. I've brought it up several times and it, it brings them comfort. I'm like, look, I am one hundred percent sure you are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, because most of the times kids don't really want to talk about it, but there's been a couple that asked me in the situation, you know, what's going to happen to me? What do you think? And so, I mean, it's a tough conversation, but I thought they're asking me, I'm going to, ha- we're doing this. And so I bring this verse up. I'm 100% sure that there are angels around you that are ready to take care of you one way or another. You're safe. Jesus called you the greatest in the kingdom. You are the greatest. Nothing's bad going to happen to you long-term in the hands of God. Well, it brought them comfort and peace to hear this verse. Yep. Go ahead, Well, yeah, 
I was going to say, I think where the probably what primary texts were, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you where I stand on it because I need a little bit more time to unpack my position on this, but um, Romans you know, 5 talks about all sinning in Adam. So I think that's where some people get the idea that maybe we're born in sin. You know, what are we born in sin? Are we born with the propensity to sin? You know, I, but I think the I think the point of Matthew 18, particularly about the kids, is it can be summed up in, in this because I've raised I've got five kids. I've got three that have made it to 13, and I got one that's 13 now. And I'm here to tell you that the year the year they turn 13, when they hit seventh grade, something like something happens. <laughs> And I can't describe to you just the, it's like, I mean, it's like a whole nother deal. And and one of my friends here that runs a church camp here, uh, actually runs the church camp that Billy Graham used to run. um, He said, he says that he's been in youth ministry for 25, 30 years. He says, Zach, let me tell you how, how it works. He said, it's like you're raising these kids and all you're in a house where all the windows are up five and like five feet high. He said, if they ever want to see the outside world, you got to pick them up. And let them look outside, or you got to tell them what it looks like, and they listen to you. He said, but the day they turn thirteen, it's like they wake up that morning, and the whole house is made out of glass, <laughs> and they can see everything, and they know everything. And I think that it's kind of that. Like you think about like kids, they're they're just not arrogant. Like little babies, they're just they're, they they just trust you. They're 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 leaning on their parents for their every for. I mean, I got a little baby now that every. I mean, I feed her. She looks at me with like complete trust are you t- I take care of her and I think that that's what the point he's getting at here is that when we walk into these we walk into life and we're going to try to position ourselves as the center of it and we're going to develop and we're not leaning and trusting on God he's like that's that, that that's that's the wrong path you'll it'll you'll never make it that way you got to be humble like the kid, like the little, you got like the little kid. But you know, Zach, I believe what you just described, and I, I agree 100%. I remember I was 14, and I remember the day the light bulb went off. I was on the bus. This girl got on the bus. I had talked to, she had been a friend the year before, but she stepped on that bus. She looked different inside my mind in a whole new way. And from that point forward, the battle was on. And so, you know, that was my glass day. Was that day? I I can still remember it. I mean, clearly. Just my point. You've just described the human race. But you go from safe to lost, (laughs) right? But but what's interesting is Zach makes a good point about the idea. He mentioned you know his daughter Ruth because verses twelve through fourteen when it talks about the ninety nine and going to find the one, he's still in the context of children because he says at the end of this, the Father in heaven does not want any. Up there's the train to Georgia. He just—he's uh, letting you know. Keep this going. Keep it going. Right, but but the idea is is that Zach has a large family already, but he and Jill, out of their love for people and children, they adopted a baby, whose life—who knows what her life would have been like? But I know what her life's going to be like now, being raised in this family by people that love her and nurture her. You, in a sense, that's the leaving of the 99 to bring the one in. I, and Jeff mentioned this when he was on about what they do in ministry. We have to look out for kids because, look, there are people that treat them terribly all over the world. That's right. And it's our job as believers. So I think that context fits this more than anything else that I know of is the idea of what, Jace, what you did with Karina, 
the idea of our families, the idea we look at people and say, you know what, we want them to be a part of the life we know. And sometimes that means we're going to have to stretch our comfort zone out to be able to bring them into our family and our midst. I mean, so I think, Zach, that's a great example but of just what this when, context is talking about. When bad things happen to them, I'm convinced after reading this that that will be made right for yes. eternity. There's not a doubt in my mind. Yep. I, I believe that, Jace. I mean, why throw yep. that in there about, you know, the angels see the face of the Father? I mean, I mean that that is a what a, what a picture that is uh, to me of like, look, I, I understand the worst thing you can do on this planet. Just think, what's the worst thing that happens? Bad things happen to little kids. Yep. There, nothing gets me more upset than that. It's but you know, yeah. we've shared Jesus with a lot of people and you start hearing what they do and there's abuse going on and sexual abuse. And I mean, it just makes yeah. my blood boil. So, and I believe that's why Jesus was providing comfort here that, as hard as it is to deal with that, it'll be made right. I'm glad it's in here. And sometimes even, Jay's in this life, things can change and be made right. Because I know, look, our audience is vast. And if the numbers are true, which I believe they are, that one out of three people that are listening to what we're talking about today have been sexually abused by someone or in some way. And you're yeah. thinking, you know, I'm living with all this guilt or I'm living with these bad things that have come out of that idea. It can change even this life. I'm married to a woman that was marred by the first 33 years of her life because of being sexually abused as a child. And then finally, when she let Christ move in where all that bad stuff had been, she was a changed woman. And the last, you know, 20 plus years has been a whole different person. So even in this life, we don't even have to wait until heaven. Things can be made new in a way you couldn't believe. So, I mean, I say that as an encouragement to people out there who have been, who have had sexual abuse in their past and are still living through some of those difficulties in relationships. Jesus really is the answer to filling in that unfillable hole that Satan has convinced you is there. So don't give up. I mean, what we're offering is, is ultimate peace, both in this life and the one to come. You bet. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll say one more thing on that too. Like a lot of times, the people who have perpetrated this abuse, I've seen it a lot, is is people who who are who claim to be Christians or mm. are even clergy. I mean, we we've seen church abuse. Oh, I mean, stuff like I mean, it's it is it is so bad. But uh, you know, being in college ministry all those years, I mean, most of the kids that we dealt with that had a real issue, they had that in their they had that shame in their past. Yep. And I personally witnessed a lot of people have found deliverance from from that shame. So I, I'm so glad you said that, Al, because I guarantee—I mean, I guarantee you—a number of people listen to this podcast. There's a lot of people out there that are, are right now they're carrying that burden from something that happened to them. Somebody somebody violated them when they were a little kid and were completely vulnerable, and they're carrying that that weight with them today, 40 years later. And I pray. And I pray that God will release you from that. Amen. Seek seek Christ, seek counsel, and I guarantee you can find deliverance. It happens. So good stuff today. Next time, hopefully I'll be back in studio. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.